Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to episode four. It is episode four of the Yes Indeed podcast. Uh, I'm Brian Kapoopser. And That's not your name. Frank Kapooter. What's your name, other person? Uh, my other person name is Ben Zeiger. Wow, what's your other other person name? It's Zeiger Ben. Wow. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. Uh, uh, we're coming to you Christmas Eve, because we're festive, and we're going to talk to you about some video games in the spirit, holiday spirit. The spirit of the holy days. Let's get jingly with it. Games, games. Let's get jingly games, with it. Games. Pew pew. Yes, indeed. It's like the games without the guns. It's like the burgers without the buns. It's like the buns without the butt crack. It's like the garden without the weed whack. It's like the weed whack without the plants. It's like the picnic without the ants. So this episode is going to be largely slash all about video games. And I think it's worth starting, for people who don't play a lot of games, uh, an experience you had talking to a former teacher recently. Yeah, so, I mean, this, is, this isn't this is just the thing that's... You've had kind of experiences like this before, too, where you say, oh, yeah, I play video games, and then people go, oh, yeah? And you're up until four in the morning shouting at your friends and shooting each other? And we were like, no. No, that's not that's not what we do. Um, so yeah, I think we really wanted to make a love letter to games. It made sense timing wise to do a like a wrap up of 2017, and also just to um, highlight some things that we think are really extraordinary games that are probably games that if you haven't really explored the space, you might not know they exist, and some of these games might be for you. And uh, I definitely think it's true that there's there's video games out there for everyone, like the way I think that there's board games out there for everyone just because some of the content's really amazing and they're all very individualized. So odds are there's a game out there that you would probably like. Um, so we wanted to do an episode that kind of elevated some of those that came out this year. Um, so it's super timely. Uh, and just pick some of those and then tell you about things that you might like that you might not know that you would. Absolutely. So... We're going to get going with this game called Dream Daddy. And the, the dating, full title. Dream da Daddy, a dating daddy simulator. <laughs> so for those of you who liked Fog of Love, this may be for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, what are the, how do you, what are the quote unquote mechanics? What do you do in this game, Ben? So it's, it's a lot of talking and and dialogue choices for the most part with some little mini games sprinkled in there just for fun um it sort of falls into this genre of games that have started to emerge called visual novels which are basically really nice art that's not fully animated uh along with a story that you're kind of playing through and some visual novels are more linear than others some are basically just digitized comic books and other ones have a little bit more player agency involved in them um and dream daddy falls into that latter camp yeah so so essentially the the hook of the game is you're a dad always of a high school age girl 
and named Amanda, who you your character lovingly calls Manda Panda, and she does not particularly care for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you uh, you're basically moving to a new neighborhood. You're single recently, and uh, and you start uh, exploring the neighborhood and making friends or more than friends with some of the other dads living in the neighborhood. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. It, you go around and you talk to people, and I mean, so far we've all we've told you is that there's writing in the game, and I think it's worth stressing at this point that the writing is amazing. Yeah, totally. Like again, it's it's mostly standing on the strength of its writing alone, and it's able to do that, which is remarkable. And there are, there, there are definitely some mechanics, but it's definitely like uh, if you like reading, then this will be just some really awesome dialogue. That you're going to feel slightly more personalized about because the game literally starts uh, and then within five seconds you get a screen that says, build that, that dad. dad. <laughs> and then you have to build that dad. Yeah. So you choose what you look like. And this is a bit about the like Becca Paper Dolls thing that we talked about last week where it's just giving somebody that much, that little bit more agency. So you could name your character like Charles Butts and then, <laughs> then you, like, you're not playing as a stranger. You're playing as Charles Butts who... Yeah has either like a kind of flabby bod or like is thin or like super buff or like you choose all that big green afro yeah yeah the game really lets you has a lot of customization for that kind of stuff um and then yeah you you basically just choose which dad you want to just like hang out with um and then uh romance ensues unless you're playing a different way yeah so so basically the idea is um there's always uh five other dads seven seven other dads seven other dads and you're ignoring two because they should be yeah they're no one would ever pick them we don't understand if (laughs) any of you pick them yeah (laughs) um but basically there's uh seven other dads and they all have kids of their own lives of their own they all have like very particular personalities um and the the game after after kind of like an intro stage it's basically like you get on the game's equivalent of facebook and called dad dad book and then you you choose which dads to message whenever you open that screen it says you've got dads (laughs) so much fun um but you you pick a dad and you uh, get to hang out with them and depending on how things play themselves out you either click or you don't and either play itself out as a date or just like a, a dad chill session dad on dead bonding moment or or it's a total horrible moment for everyone involved um, but it but it's awesome because the the dates are so different and so unique to the person you're going out with yeah so in addition to seeing learning about who you are by your interactions with these dads which does inform a lot of who you think your character is you also learn about the, a lot about the other dads and really start to get a sense of like and see windows of compatibility, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Of where uh, we we Ben and I are doing a playthrough together, and we went on a date with who someone who was like kind of like a broy jock kind of dude, and Ben was like, "Oh, okay, I guess we're doing this." And I was like, "Yeah, I think I think that like our they were old friends. They had a bit of chemistry, um, and." They had some really human moments in a way that this character who was like, bro, used to be named like Kegstand David. Yeah, Craig, yeah. Yeah, Kegstand Craig. Um, but it was just like a really cool, very human, like they were just, the dad was just like exasperated from being busy all the time taking care of kids and 
doing the softball team and like doing all these things and we just sat back and played catch and it was really nice and i think that's worth mentioning too is that there are a lot of games out there in this field of visual novels that are sort of um dating simulators of sorts um and they're usually a little bit fantasy driven like you basically just get to look a la carte at all these different people fake people and be like I want to have my character be in love with you. Now I'm going to be able to romance you. Oh yeah, I did it, you know? Um, but I think one thing that's really special about Dream Daddy is that because it's it's about dads specifically, um, first of all, I mean, obviously it's inclusive of people who are gay, which is great. And um, and second of all, the the fact that you have to think about life when you're in that stage and you have kids and how much that complicates things, but also how much that is this like super rewarding experience. Um, that's, that's incredible. And um, kind of the way that it plays itself out is you get to choose who you go on dates with uh, over the course of the game. But whenever you make a choice, the quote unquote main plot, which is about the relationship between you and your daughter, that progresses at the same rate. So, if there are 10 possible windows to go on dates with dads over the course of the game, there's always only going to be 10 steps in the main plot. So you only have that much time to play with, um, which is really nice, actually, because it means that rather than just kind of aimlessly going on dates with dads, you uh, have to uh, both commit to stuff, which is nice, but also the whole experience of the narrative is this full arc no matter what, you know, and, and it's nice because even if you like go around and, and you either like connect with people and then fall out from connecting with them, or you just never connect with anyone or whatever, like you still get a full story. That's just about you and your daughter. And that, and that relationship is just amazing. Incredible. Out. It's, it feels very human where the relationship clearly isn't perfect, but both parties know that the other is trying really hard, mm -hmm. and that means a lot to them. Um, and yeah, it's it's just got a lot of those like single parent dynamics that a lot of folks know and are exposed to, um, and it does it really well. Cause yeah, you you have the, the like really nice high moments where you're like joking around together, and then you have the moments where like oh you're you Amanda's being guarded from you and. Um, secret yeah so there's there's all these different layers of um relationship that are going on that are super real feel very tangible and i think kind of centers the game that's got this really nice it, it it's the core of the game is human and then you go on dates with dads and stuff and then you have like little spikes of fun but then it rains it back into the like very human like the most human moments definitely feel like you and your daughter not to say that the dates aren't like well written and very human, but they it doesn't feel the same as the like interactions with your daughter. Yeah, well, I mean, in in life, relationships that are the most meaningful are the ones that have been building the longest, you right. know. Um, and and you have so much more history with your daughter than you do with any of these dads. That uh, you know, they're they're always just going to be a partner, and she's going to be like your real family, you know. Um, but I mean, I also think that it's worth emphasizing, you, you touched on this before, but uh, you're, you're really, they, they do a great job of writing 
these other dads for the most part to all kind of like have a little spark of you and your past in them. Yeah. So there, there are different ways of interpreting your character to like connect with one of them with a different part of you and, and you pick which part of yourself to really bring out um, in your choices about who you want to spend more time with. And that's, that's what happens in the real world too. You know, is that like you, people choose, or in a healthy way, people would want to choose a partner who kind of makes them the best person that they can be and brings out parts of themselves that are really lovely. And it's it's great to have a game that's so well written that you really feel that choice happening in real time. And and uh, even though even though your dialogue is pretty much set with Amanda, the interactions you have with people they give you dialogue options, but it really lets you have that bit of role playing too where you can you 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 really are along for this story that uh you you get the sense of like who this person is and then change that so you played this through a bit with becca too and our dads ended up being very hard charles butts has gotten we're very <laughs> different um just because there were little notes that you added that i i thought other notes were more appropriate for our dad and it's just cool that you can do that and and make a really consistent dad. The character is kind of like real but blanket enough that you can interpret his, his actions one way or another and and go with it. Yeah, um, which is which is awesome. And it's and it's also really good with tone and creating this um, space that's both kind of really fun but also pretty there are simple so many and down jokes. to earth. There are so lot, many lots dad of dad jokes. jokes. Um, it's awesome but it is it is also really good at being kind of down to earth and and realistic even though it's kind of poignant and funny um which is also true of another game that we loved um this year called night in the woods yeah so um i'll pile drive this one a bit because this is one of my favorite gaming experiences i've ever had um basically you're in an anthropomorphic world where everybody's animals um, and it's just, the art design is really cool. It just is so stylized and so its own thing. And all the characters, uh, are just so themselves. You play as a character named Mae Borowski, who, uh, is a college dropout who com- moves back in with her parents in their own, like, small sleepy town. Uh, and the, this game is more or less, it's about your journey and really connecting with friends you had from the area from like high school and childhood and and going around and seeing how everything has changed in possum springs which is your town yeah Um, and and to be clear you're a cat yes you're a cat um (laughs) and your best mates are like a cat a bear a crocodile so yeah um yeah and and in terms of mechanics uh dream daddy is exclusively talking and Mm -hmm. and clicking um but in Night in the Woods, you do have a character that is animated and can move. Yeah, but it's, it's. I mean, there's some light platforming stuff, and you can, it's more or less there if you want it, but it's, you don't have to do it. So, yeah. um, for instance, if you do a bunch of jumping around, you'll find a little <laughs> rat nest and in uh, an old mascot in an empty building. And then you're like, oh, my little rat babies, I will feed you and make you whole. And then you get to do a mini game where you start uh, stealing pretzels from a pretzel stand, uh, <laughs> which is awesome. But again, even though that's like a really nice thing that happens around you, it's a totally optional thing. Because you can also just not do any of the like jumpy around stuff and really just play through the game. 
and what the game is more or less is your interaction with people so it's definitely worth going around town and talking to people because you will very quickly see that and you'll love these characters like you'll go and find the person on their stoop who always does poetry and you'll be like hey hey what's the new poem for the day and um you'll definitely especially love hanging out with your friends mm. which is the thing that the game just like so so nails that's the you know maze maze clearly got a lot of stuff going on in her head and uh is clearly not over a thing that you don't even really know what it is um but she's clearly struggling a lot but she just kind of leans on her friends and it makes it a lot better you know having that support network is so important and awesome and you know i got to the point where i was playing the game and i was like oh yeah i'm so excited to see bay today or <laughs> you know i'm really excited to see greg because he'll do like the wavy arm thing and then maybe we'll go do crimes like, right and that, i think that's worth pointing out is that um another another game that is sort of similar to this one in a lot of ways that people um who used to play games might have heard of before it's called animal crossing and it's about a town and it's uh, pretty, pretty like light and fun in terms of its tone, and it's not a lot of challenge, um, and it's just kind of like lovely, cute animal town. But this one is one of the ways it's that this a lot one more is different. human and gritty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's what I'm saying. One of the ways that this is different is that the tone is a little bit more. It has a little bit more of an edge, you know, because um, it's not it's not just like let's be cute animals in a nice town. Like there is, there is some, some action and, and character stuff that's going on that has conflict in it. And you're in a band. <laughs> <laughs> you play bass in a band and you incessantly mock the alligator who uh, took over as the drummer, but just plays beats on her computer. And you're like, those aren't drums. Right. <laughs> Constantly say that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just, it's pure fun. It's just honestly, it has some amazingly touching moments just like really rattled me and but it does that because the general tone is just like so awesome where like i get so excited to talk to my mom and my dad and like everyone in this town like actually everyone in this town was really nice to talk to yeah um it's it's interesting um because the the kind of overlap and lack of overlap that that comes across in this game and the next one we'll talk about um, is also reflective of what we do in uh, movies. And some of your favorite movies of all time have this very kind of like awkward family drama, like very human, very down to earth, like definitely silly moments that also have some like very intense sentimental mo moments. And that's a thing that like you love in movies. And this is basically like taking that as a, as a feeling and then just diving in in a way that adds a new layer of interactivity and an immersion and lets you really explore a world like that that you've only been able to just like watch from the outside before yeah it's cool yeah and i think it's it's really true that if you if you have comedy and then you come up to the edge of like realism it's just that much more poignant um and i think you can look at a bunch of shows and things that are doing that like please like me and it's it's like very obvious that through comedy you can explore some really big intense awesome stuff because um, of the tone like the tone you're setting and the fact that there is comedy and tragedy a lot of times yeah and and real life you know is is generally a pretty mixed bag you know like people don't generally 
have lives where everything is awesome all the time and they also don't have lives where everything's terrible all the time it is it is about that back and forth and i think that it does it does kind of put you in a more vulnerable place emotionally if if you are going on a journey that has those ups and downs you know um and and it does it does lend itself to um games that make you feel a lot more yeah and yeah there's just so many of those moments where you know like you go to a party in the woods and get drunk and then see your ex and then it's like the worst thing in the world and then you have to get driven home by one of your friends who's like dude you're wasted just <laughs> dude you're so wasted stop please <laughs> <laughs> which is just so good it's just it really and again they're not you're not playing with humans but it's just a very human game it yeah. just feels very alive and it feels just so alive and That's, again i think is... the thing to emphasize the most is that it just the everything feels so alive about the game and it's also not at all what you would expect from a game you know the idea that like big video games have this huge stigma that they're all like intense uh like action driven shoot stuff all the time things and this game is so pleasant and and it's so much more something that you would expect from again like an indie movie but it's in in game form yeah i think yeah i think the the game that it reminds me of the most probably is oxen free mm -hmm. um, which is another game that i super loved that came out last year last year um so we'll probably talk about that at some point but yeah um, it's just really lovely. It's like a bunch of teens hanging out and enjoying each other. And I think that's a really magical period of life to explore. Um, also, we may, yeah, well, we may explore that later if you are able to hang around until the end right. of, the, of the podcast. All right. The ever teased life is strange. We're actually going to talk about because <laughs> a game came out this year. But um, the other thing I wanted to wrap up Night in the Woods with and then also touch back on Dream Daddy is that so one, you can play Dream Daddy on like pretty much any computer. It mm. is just such a low intensity game that like any any Mac PC can play this game without issue. It yep. is you can play it, guaranteed. And Night in the Woods is a similar boat, so much so that you can even actually get it in the App Store. Mm -hmm. So you could play this game on your iPad. Mm -hmm. um, I probably wouldn't play it on an iPhone because it's probably a little tight window wise but um yeah you can get it on your ipad or on your computer and just sit and before bed maybe for like an hour if you just want to like relax and chill out and laugh a little bit it's perfect yeah and access to games is a huge thing you know because you can't you can't create them in a vacuum and there always has been this hardware barrier where like if you didn't buy the multi hundred dollar console and like also be able to get over the stigma of owning a video game console then like you couldn't play games but it's so wonderful because people have computers now people have smartphones now and it's really great when when developers can find ways to have less graphically intensive games that also speak to a wider audience and then see how those two things line up um her story is another amazing example of that um but yeah there's it's it's a really awesome time to to get into video games because it it's starting to really come into its own as a medium plus in this game you get to have conversations with your mom about eels which is awesome speaking of eels <laughs> hellblade seno sacrifice <laughs> so i'm gonna drive this one for sure because brian was not a fan so much um well but we'll talk about that a bit but yeah. it's it's definitely it is certainly a ben game 
And for Brian, it's not a game that I like because it's too intense, but I'm super glad that it exists because of what it set out to do. Yeah, so so Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice is um, a game that is basically about this uh, Pictish warrior in like the 9th century Britain, basically, who's living in this community that's invaded by Vikings and her... Her village is all destroyed, but the game really pick, starts um, after she's experienced this trauma and um, has it's it's kind of triggered her psychosis in in a more powerful way than it ever has before. And the entire game is basically one long uh, uh, psychosis fueled episode, um, and. And it's, it's really ambitious in terms of what it wanted to do with mental health because it, it wanted to explore um, people who, who do have psychosis or suffer from the symptoms of psychosis in, in a way that games have never touched on before. And um, one like I, I learned a lot personally about psychosis through listening to the developers of the game. And, and the game also comes with a really nice 20, 30 minute documentary about how they worked both with professional psychologists as well as people with lived experience to really do an authentic job with this game. And it's nice because it's from a studio that traditionally has made more conventional hack and slash kind of games. And it's really clear, they, they were very open about the development process and early on they, they really, uh, put out into the world a game that's very different than what they ended up with. Um, and at the beginning, it was going to be more this like uh, mental health as a plot device thing where it's like, look at this warrior. She's battling psychosis, but she's also battling monsters. Like, look at her fight. Like, and, and that was kind of where they started. And then the, not just the, the story and the characters, but really the mechanics changed in a huge way because, um, Whereas I think that their original idea was to have the burden be on the combat mechanics, because um, she is she um, is kind of a warrior who uses a sword, but the the real weight of the of what you do in the game is really on these puzzles, and especially as it as it goes on, the puzzles get more complex, and it's and it's much more about um, exploring this idea that when you have psychosis. A lot of times you're able to notice things and, and see patterns in the world that you couldn't otherwise. Um, so mechanically, you're kind of going around and looking for ways to make the environment align in order to form these glyphs, these symbols. And that's like a, a really nice way of mechanically showing another side to psychosis because people confuse that with being psychotic um, a lot, which is kind of this you have no emotions, you're very violent. And psychosis is just that you, you experience things that aren't real, you know? Um, and, uh, and then, I mean, the, the game is very intense in terms of its tone. It's also very mythic. It was very much thought of as this hero's journey. Um, it touches on a lot about Norse mythology and your, your whole kind of like plot that you're going through is your, one of the people who was killed in this Viking raid was your, your partner, Dillian, and you're carrying his severed head around everywhere you go. And you're trying to get to the goddess Hela in order to um, 
help him pass on to the next life. Um, and it's, and it's very dark and, and, uh, intense, but it's also really good at, um, kind of letting those juices build and stew well. Um, and I think that one of the things that does the best in its story, because as you go on the whole thing, it's, it's very ambiguous how much of what your experience is, is real versus just real to her. Um, and after a certain point, that doesn't matter. Um, but the, the way that it progresses, you're, you're definitely starting to hear more about her backstory and what her life was like. And eventually it becomes clear that, you know, what, what was really hard for her growing up wasn't as much her, her condition itself as it was the way that she's treated by the people around her. And, um, that was something that I found to be really affecting because, uh, I mean, I personally have had this tendency toward being more serious and dark and I've always been interested in death and, and that has been something that's alienated a lot of people in my life. And I really connected with her as a character because her experience of the world was very much like she couldn't not be who she was. And because of that, it really isolated her. And I've never, I've never seen a game or a movie or anything really explore that um, in exactly that way. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Taxi Driver, and it does a very similar thing. It's just like, here's a character who is, is incompatible with the world around them. And because of that ends up totally alone. And, and I really, I really thought that they did a nice job, both of, of showing the, the struggles that Senua goes through over the course of her journey, but also how she is able to persevere and overcome. And like, definitely the, the, the like overall thesis of the game is no matter how bad things get, you can always keep going, you know? Um, and, uh, and I'm, I'm lucky enough that I don't actually suffer from anything as intense as her or even clinical depression, but I know a lot of people who do. And, and it's so, it's so empowering to, to have that represented and honored in a game like that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that for me, it was definitely one of the most powerful experiences that I've had in video games, period. Um, and it's also, it's nice cause it, it, um, it only takes like, uh, five or so hours to get through. It's not a huge lift, um, in terms of the, the time you have to put into it. Um, although I do think it's worth mentioning is, as you pointed out that it is, um, sort of pun intended, this double-edged sword of, of how it is gorgeous, like stunningly beautiful her her animations are some of the like highest i've ever seen in a game um because it's they basically animated one character the whole time because it's just her in this world um but it also it is exclusive to a really high powered gaming pc or a playstation 4 and otherwise you just can't experience it which is again kind of a, a trade-off and it's i mean that's that's hardware but it's also it requires that same intensity of the players too almost yeah um one thing that you didn't talk about that is a thing that i think is amazing about the game but still off-putting for me is the sound design is 
amazing. Yeah, totally. Um, and you talk about atmosphere doing storytelling for you, and that nails it. Where they recorded the sound design for this game using binaural microphones, which basically means that it records where the sound was in relation to the microphone, and it uses this, so you're supposed to play with headphones. If you're yeah. not playing with headphones, you're not playing this game right. Right. Because um, it's meant to be this, like, you experience it in the dark. And it's, you, it's more like, it, it, it wants to give you, like, horror game vibes almost. Yeah, definitely. Because they want you to kind of be at the edge of your seat where all the things around you could turn against you because you don't really know. Um, and, and again, yeah, as you're saying, Senoa experiences auditory hallucinations, which means she hears voices, you know, and they're the way that they conceptualized of it because um, it is this kind of extended metaphor about greek tragedies and and myths and stuff like that is um in greek mythology um the game is more norse mythology but in greek mythology there are these things called the furies which is basically like these uh god-like demigod presence that that are constantly speaking to you and driving you insane um and that that's kind of what people with psychosis experience sometimes um is that like hearing things that aren't there all the time and um and yeah it is it is incredible in a lot of ways that they were able to use sound design to recreate that experience to a certain extent for people who don't experience that usually and i mean there are stories of people who uh are like schizophrenic or have some kind of psychosis playing this game for like five minutes and then saying this is too intense for me. I have to stop. Yeah. Like this is, this is the most real I've ever felt that experience captured. Yeah. Which is really, and again, that's, that's why I love that this game exists is because it's really awesome that people are making games about that and are trying to make games about that because I think mental health is this big thing on the horizon of society where folks don't understand it. It feels like this very uh, foreign thing to folks and folks don't really have a grasp on it. So I think anything that can help shed some light on how tough it is to have a, a mental illness, I think the society is helped by just that storytelling and that understanding of what other folks are going through. Yeah. Um, it is also just intense, like it's completely so intense. intense. I so, couldn't play it for more than 45 minutes without going, God, okay. It's the same reason that like I don't like horror things because it is it is very it demands a lot of your attention and also it just it it wants you to be 1000 percent present and uh yeah yeah and and, it, and it's interesting to to talk about kind of the the realism of things because um like night in the woods and dream daddy have those it, it does these kind of like pirouettes between comedy and drama and like the stuff that's kind of heavy and stuff that's kind of light and and um, it's able to uh, deal with a lot of difficult ideas without diving in to this intense place. Um, and I personally, like I've been attracted to films that are and TV shows and whatever that are pretty like all in drama intense all the time. Not Brian. And not Brian. Um, so again, it's kind of tonally different. Um, and speaking of things that are difficult to deal with, and that you're obsessed with death, and that you're obsessed with death and dying in the family, there's a there's a game called What Remains of Edith Finch that I think is really impressive. Um, so, Just the, to be clear, that's the next game we're going to talk about. It is. Um, <laughs> so this game, um, there's this amazingly designed house. 
that you're more or less exploring. You're the the member of this Finch family, and there's the first one of the first things you learn in the game is that there's been this curse to the Finch family where folks die of bizarre circumstances. Yeah. Um, and you're you just play as the character and as yourself as someone who's just curious and wants to find out more about what's going on. So you explore the house, and as you explore the like actual physical space, then you enter these um, kind of vignettes, short stories about each of these people who used to live in the house and how they died basically yeah um and so then you get like you get like a bit of character about them but mostly you just get these like really interesting super different from each other short story experiences that just explore just the none of them are similar to each other yeah they're very stylized very unique and this game just feels like such a great like this could more so than anything else we've talked about so far, I feel like this game this game could only ex- be experienced as a video game. Yeah, like, as a concept, it really only works as a video game. Well, one thing that's really impressive about it um, in that vein is that it it also is one of the first video games that I've ever experienced that basically feels like a collection of short stories. You know, um, and again, games are kind of exploring um, their format in new ways, um, both in terms of how to get shorter and how to get longer. And this is really nice at, again, being this collection of vignettes. And I think one thing that, as you're saying, makes it really special as a game is that in in its collection of short stories, it doesn't just give you variation of character and, and plot. It gives you variation of mechanics because each each place you go has a little, a little like, different thing about it that changes. Mechanics and style. Yeah, because it's... Yeah, one you're like playing in a like a overly uh like uh overly camp comic book yeah. that's like Halloweeny. One you're just changes like perspective of the game completely as you start playing camera perspective in a fam- in a fantasy world. Yeah. And there's another where you're like you become animals, you're like a cat and then you become like a whale and a hawk and a tentacle monster like the whole thing is is really and the nice. cool thing is the first thing you do is you explore that person's room so you get a bit of sense of who that person was because you know if you think about yourself there's a lot of you in your room whether your walls are completely blank or full of a couple paintings that are important to you or completely plastered in band posters <laughs> you you can obviously get a lot of somebody from their post like what their room looks like so you do that and then you kind of explore this like these are their last moments but then you do it in ways that are very unique to each character so it really does feel like that short story is so personalized to that character and again that personalization comes through mechanics you know it's coming through using the toolbox of what makes games awesome and when when you're doing something when you're in a game and it's not just that the world changes and the characters change but you're what you're doing changes also like that's really where your your experience of the whole thing shifts, um, and and I think that that's that's especially impressive to me because um, there is this kind of new bubble that's emerging in video games, sort of like visual novels. That's called these uh, walking simulators, and traditionally walking simulators are kind of three D environments you move through in first person, and you basically don't have a way to interact. You don't have any mechanics other than moving. And so tr- by tradition, this this genre has existed for like less than a decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, and more, was v- very popularized by a game called Gone Home, 
um, which is amazing and we really recommend it to people, but it is, you are, you, you take place as someone who's like coming back to their house, it's empty and you just look around to just figure out what happened. So the only thing you can really do is pick stuff up uh, and then you can put it back down again. And yeah. like that's, those are the only like mechanics of Gone Home. It is very much like a, I want to learn about the world around me, but the only way I'm going to do that is just by looking around. Yeah, and um, and um, and Gone Home even is built around puzzles and stuff like that, whereas something like Dear Esther or Vanishing of Ethan Carter, those games are really just about walking around and then like if you go to the right place, you hear a memory of somebody as an audio and that's it, you know? And even um, like Firewatch, which is definitely one of my favorite games of all time, is a game where you really the only mechanic is walking around but you do that while looking at this like gorgeous forest around you and you're having like a conversation with someone over walkie talkie right is amazing but yeah the only the only thing you're doing that is a game that i really like that you didn't connect with as much because i think you felt like you were more along for the ride and i like that in a game that doesn't bother me mm -hmm. but you you're kind of looking for a higher bar of interactivity and that's why what remains of Edith Finch was like the perfect marrying of the two of us. Yeah, because it, it really is about this kind of simple human. You go on a pre-scripted journey. You don't change what happens. You just experience it and that's it. Um, but it, it's short and fresh and punchy. And um, yeah, I think the whole thing only takes a couple of hours to play through. Um, it's also, uh, in, in a if to zoom out a little bit, the fact that it's made by a studio that is basically a film studio, um, Annapurna Interactive, they they um, have just started to get into video games. And I think that's part of this, this really cool um, general acceptance of games as a legitimate art form that I think is really exciting to see. And like you see it both in terms of these huge AAA games that are actually getting big name actors to be cast in their in their experiences and you see it in how people are realizing that games are are popular and exciting and engaging and are good investments and it really it really means that when when you have a platform like a video game that gets more legitimized and you have the, the kind of mainstream culture embrace it 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 brings in a lot more attention and money and and opportunity that then uh, kind of trickles down in a nice way so that you both get these awesome, exciting games on the high end, but you also get these really kind of new games on the low end that never would have happened if it was just a niche thing that nobody knew about, you know? Yeah, well, and, and two things I think I want to say. One is, um, I think all of that's true, I think, but to me, the, mo the reason it's more exciting that What Remains of Edith Finch is a thing is just... Every once in a while, a game comes along, like Gone Home, that has a completely different way of playing than anything that's ever happened before. So before, no one would ever release a game where the only thing you did was walk around. No one would want to play that. There aren't mechanics. No one would enjoy that. And people loved it. And then it really started opening up this treasure trove of what games are. What Remains of Be the Finch probably wouldn't exist without a game like Gone Home. No, certainly not. But again, because Gone Home, What Remains of Be the Finch is so different... I feel like it's one of those, it's going to be one of those games where people open up their eyes and say, oh, cool, like, we can do some, some really interesting things with, like, short form, cobbling together, like, short experiences as one thing, like Stories Untold, which also came out this year, which was really good. Yeah. Um, 
using this this medium to do that thing where you like can pull together things in a really interesting way with a video game. So I think I'm excited for what it's going to do for video games. Yeah. Well, um, well, it is again, it is really cool that you have these games that are these sprawling 100-hour epic experiences if you want that and you have these ones that are shorter and simpler and and usually more um kind of human and uh another one of those that we love this year is this game called another lost phone well that was gonna be my two was gonna be segueing (laughs) you said it's so cool that all these like big money is flowing into the thing well the real thing that's exciting to me about video games is that the indie indie games are um, the the barrier to making a game is becoming lower and lower. Right. So you have really awesome, really nice polished games coming out from like one person design studios, um, which is really awesome. And yeah, another lost phone. It's awesome. So another lost phone is is a sequel to a game called A Normal Lost Phone, and the this is sort of also a baby genre of its own there have been a few of these that have come out that are basically games that put you as the player in the position of having access to a phone so 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 like i said where if imagine if you're in someone's room and you can learn a lot about them imagine that same thing except for your phone yeah like think about how much you could learn about you if someone just opened up your text messages and then like read your conversations with people how they'd like more or less know who you are yeah. in a really interesting way. And a lot of people are really uncomfortable with that. Yeah. There's and definitely this feeling of like, should I be doing this when you do this, when you play these games? Um, and I think that actually helps a bit with the tone and atmosphere a bit when playing these games. I feel like that's a good feeling to have. And if it, if it prompts you to think a bit about like who you are and who you share that with, I think that's not a bad thing, but yeah. I mean, the main reason these th- these particular games, another lost phone and a normal lost phone, are so awesome, is because they explore characters really interestingly. So you have these really human dialogues that happen via text message that you read and you go, "Oh, yeah, these are totally these are people like I feel that." Um, and then they also just are uh, they're games that are largely about social issues. We won't spoil which ones. Because um, it does kind of sneak up on you a bit. Yeah. Um, and it, in particular, on another lost phone, I thought did this amazingly well, where you kind of thought that everything was okay, but it was all just kind of hiding beneath the surface. And yeah. And the more you dive into this, the more you explore, you start to see that like actually things are not okay, and the human brain is really capable of like trying to make the best out of a bad situation. And that's sometimes problematic. Like sometimes you need help and you should acknowledge that and like lean on people around you because they want to help you. And um, I thought this game did a really good job of, of, of not only presenting that world, but trying to like share, into it. share and knowledge almost where yeah. it like teaches you things that you didn't necessarily know um, in a way that is so not preachy in a way that's like really like there's a bunch of information here if you want it. Um, otherwise, you're just going to learn a bit about this perspective and then we're going to go away. Yeah, well, it, it's cool. Um, we, we had an opportunity to meet the one of the developers on the game She's uh, very cool. at, at the Games for Change Festival, which we mentioned before. And um, what what's interesting is that she, she was uh, giving a talk there that was basically about um, 
kind of the wolf in sheep's clothing of, of social issues thing. And if you if you go at somebody, um, if you are cognizant of a particular social issue and say like, hey, like starving children in Africa, people will just kind of like turn off and, and not want to engage with you. But if you're able to subvert those expectations and get lull them into this sense of, of feeling like they are comfortable, they understand what's going on, and then you kind of pull the rug out from under them, um, I, I think people are more vulnerable to that. Um, and they do, both games do it in different ways. The first game, A Normal Lost Phone, is kind of about someone who has a secret, you know, who's hiding something. So from a narrative sense, you're kind of slowly peeling back the layers of this onion to figure out what's what's underneath. Um, versus this one, you're, you're kind of following this trail of a person who's in denial, you know, who's going through something and they truly at their core believe that everything's fine and you keep hearing them say that over over their texts and emails and calendar memos whatever whatever ways the game has of, of sharing information with you and uh and then as it progresses you slowly start to realize along with this character that not everything is okay and the 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 mechanics of this game is that a lot of the content in the game is kind of gated by these passwords you have to figure out in the phone. Um, so inherently it feels a bit like a puzzle game. Um, but, and it is. And it is. But I think the thing that's nice about it is that the puzzles are all actually very like person related. Mm -hmm. So um, in order to figure a thing out, you have to kind of know who they are and know what's important to them. So like in the first game, figuring out the X person's birthday was the code to the thing. So we had to figure out, one, like who was important enough to be cared about that they might have a birthday, and then two, what that birthday was once we yeah. looked in the calendar. So it definitely does. There are puzzle mechanics, but it is you still at the end of the day are learning and caring about that character in order to solve them. And that it also kind of helps in when it subverts that expectation of the like everything's fine because you're reading the text and you're like, oh, okay, like things do seem pretty okay. Um, but I, I think I got the information I need to get in the puzzle in advance of the game and you're feeling okay with her. And then at a certain point you just become a little, it starts to feel a bit uneasy. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that it, it is, it is kind of stuck between these two, these two places um, as a game that wants to progress you in an intentional way. Um, and I think it, it's, it's both good and bad at that. I think that it's um, one huge strength that it has is, the, the mechanics that it's relying on for you to progress through the game is basically kind of getting information from people, reading into that information, discovering a code of sorts, and and then using that to like open a new door to like learn more about this person and their life. And the again, the mechanics of like learning something about them and then using that to unlock a, a new chunk of information to kind of continue to explore that curiosity and dive deeper that's really uh exciting and, and it fits really well with the the narrative of the game as you're kind of discovering more about them um for me though i think that the fact that it uses numbers so much um is it's something that has to do because numbers are the way that we lock things for the most part um but but it is, it is interesting to compare it to something like her story, which is very similar in terms of getting information and using that information to open new doors, but it's it doesn't have to translate itself back into numbers at any point. It just kind of is about words and ideas. 
So mm-hmm. in some ways, I, I've definitely had people tell me that they couldn't get through an Alma Lost phone um, because it was too much. Like, I don't know, like, 7983, like, how was I supposed to figure that out? And even though, like, we've, we haven't looked up stuff when we played it through, we, we're pretty much numbers people. Um, so it is, it is interesting that it just, it has that problem that it, that it has to try to work a way around. And I think that given where it is, I, I think it does a really wonderful job. With I that. think every, every puzzle game is going to have a bit of mechanics that won't be for everyone mm-hmm. because of the nature of not everybody's brain thinks the same way. So you can't, you can't make a game that has a puzzle that can be solved by all brains. Yeah. And even in, even in her story, uh, which is a lot of people's like favorite puzzle game almost of all time like you couldn't look you couldn't get through it without looking up the there's like a thing you had to do yeah. to like whatever that was stupid. so anyway um <laughs> it's really good and it is it's available like on your phone on your computer it's very easy the only interface of the game is like using a smartphone yeah so you it takes no knowledge of understanding how games work at all you can just boot it up and then you're like looking at a phone and there's a lot of reading, so if that intimidates you, then don't pick it up. But if if reading about people's uh, lives sounds kind of interesting to you and you are interested in social issues, then this is an amazing game. Yeah, totally. Um, so and now uh, for something completely now different. for something completely different. Um, uh, this also goes along with that that thing you mentioned earlier about how game developers are being able to do much more with much less than they used to um so some choose to do something like another lost phone where it's uh very 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 simple and you can play it on a smartphone and other ones do something that's a little bit more like uh uh hellblade where um they're picking a theme and 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 an environment in the world that kind of wouldn't have happened on its own in the triple a industry this kind of like big budget industry um but whereas Hellblade is made by kind of a big studio, this game that we're about to talk about, Little Nightmares, is not. Little Nightmares is made by this kind of off-brand studio in like dark, the dark corners of Europe, and they they created this this horror game that's basically unlike any horror game I've played before. It's not. It is not a jump scare horror game. No. So for those of you who like heard horror game and were like skipping forward to the next one uh it's not that kind of, it's completely atmospheric yeah and it's very like uh there are a couple moments where you have to like move out of the way of a thing but it's not particularly difficult either no. um, and so i think people associate those things with horror games this is really just like a game that like you're in kind of a creepy place and the atmosphere does all of the work it's incredible um it's it's also a, a visual style that i've never seen before it's, it's basically like the most the, gorgeous animating i might have ever seen it's sort of like video game claymation in a way yeah um it's these kind of like awkward clunky misshapen nothing looks right no it's all strange um and it's all very dark but also uh just really abstract and and bizarre it's just like, and you play as like a little girl in a yellow raincoat yeah so you're you're like the only thing of color in this world yeah but that's almost more creepy yeah totally um so you're you're kind of going along you have a little flashlight oh no it's a, it's a lighter that you use and you have your little your little like yellow bright yellow 
rain poncho on and it's uh mechanically you move around you can crouch you have a tiny jump but it's not a platformer really um you you can like interact with things like pick things up but mostly it's just about moving around and it does an interesting thing where it's it's basically on a 2d plane you don't have control over the camera at all um in a kind of 3d sense um you you just kind of move around but there is there's a little bit of depth so you have to be able to navigate away from the screen and toward the screen to kind of weave in and out of beds and and chests and, all and to avoid some thingies yeah so so it's the whole the whole game is sort of um you're you're this child in this big scary world and uh there are these kind of strange creatures and it's all building towards like them this th there's a theme in the game about about like hunger and feeding that's really interesting um both in terms of the way that the enemies progress it's kind of toward this eating as as an idea as well as your character arc is very much built around like there are these crucial plot moments where you get very hungry and and it's it's strange that it's able to kind of like play on these these uh ideas in in exciting strange ways um uh yeah it's 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 a really bizarre journey to go on um yeah this is this is definitely not so the other game a lot of the other games we've talked about are like very like human momenty like very amazing writing this is not that but this is like in terms of atmosphere this is this is like off the chains this is this is you know like wes anderson's level of like okay i see this i know this is that person's thing this is like this felt like no one else's thing i've ever seen before sort of well it, it did feel a bit to me like tim burton which i think is an interesting reference um because tim burton really is this evocative um creator who has this fascination with taking things that are very dark and weird and abstract and then doing something that's a little playful with them you know um his his style is very much like dealing with something like death or or um uh murder or whatever and then um making it kind of into this bizarre playful world um and that that felt a little bit like what they were doing with little nightmares which again i've never seen in a video game before um so we we have a mutual friend who loves tim burton and loves um kind of an animations that are like this and and um i sat down with them and played through it and they were like this is like nothing i've ever seen before in a video game um yeah really really strange and dark but not not like heavy dark just like playful dark i don't know it was it was awesome then there yeah there were definitely moments where a thing would happen on the screen and we'd be like um and even though it's it's unnerving it's not really difficult exactly no. so you you get a lot of of save points and and there's not a lot of ways that you can lose um so it's it's not it's not as, as difficult a game as some in order to how to get through it. Um, it's just kind of a really wonderful, bizarre place to, to exist for a bit. Yeah. Um, another 
really lovely, very beautiful game that we can talk about. About, about a small child. About a small child is uh, a game that we just finished called Gora Goa um, that also came out this year. So uh, also to recap, I think we didn't hit on these. Little Nightmares is available. You might need a, uh, like an, an at least a decent computer. Definitely not like a gaming computer, but you should probably have like a decent computer. And then um, it's also on PS4, yeah, PS4, Xbox. Um, A Little Nightmares. You just talked about uh, what it remains to be Finch. It's similar deal. Yeah, might be a little more intense. Even I don't know, but anyway. So yeah, um, check them out. Maybe you can play them. Gorgoa, you can definitely play. Yeah, Um, it is on mobile and iPad and all computers and whatever. Oh, it'd be an awesome iPad game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it's it's a puzzle game. That's very simple, um, but does some and but plays with puzzle, the puzzle its puzzle mechanics, in a, in a way that we haven't seen before. Yeah, well, so like I, I was talking about earlier with with another lost phone and how some people can't get into numbers. This game has no numbers. This game has no words. This game is all visuals, and it's it's kind of using a kind of storybook animation style. Um, in these kind of abstract worlds in order to fit pictures into pictures and well so mechanically basically you have a grid of four spaces and you start out with one picture yeah you start with one picture and within a given picture there's either something that you can click on or you can drag it somewhere else and you drag basically a layer of it off and then reveal something else um and so, like, if you have a picture frame and you, like, drag it, you might actually be pulling off the picture frame layer, and then you're actually in the In picture. the world. Yeah, exactly. And then you can, like, zoom out or in from that world. So, if you're in a picture, you might, like, zoom in on a star or, or zoom out to reveal someone looking at the picture or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, there's, this, there's, like, layers in perspective, and um, the game does a really great job of tutorialing you mm-hmm. on how to do all of this. It feels very natural. Basically, the the whole game is you you want to have five different colored fruits in your bowl. So you start out, and the tutorial teaches you how to get like one super easily, and then you're like, okay, I guess what I'm gonna do this game is get the other colors in my bowl. Um, and each color feels like it's a very different set of puzzles. Um, and it feels like it ramps up in terms of difficulty, in but a in really a way nice that's way. super manageable. Yeah, totally. Um, it definitely like if if we had to do the puzzle that we had to do for the last fruit, it, for the first fruit, we would have dropped the game. Yeah. Um. But we we got so engaged by by how uh how it progressively got more complex that we played through the, the whole thing in one sitting. And the you know, like we said, the illustrations are Stunning. insanely gorgeous. You should Google. This is one more. And the other things you could probably like figure out how to Google them. Gorgoa Gorgoa is spelled G O R O G O A. so Google it. Um, we're looking for it in the App Store if that's your that's your deal. But yeah, um, it's absolutely stunning. The it makes you think in ways that aren't necessarily lateral, which is really nice. So it's not like how do I get from A to B? Okay, I need this thing. You don't necessarily know what you need until you explore a bit, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and most of again, most of the puzzle, puzzles are visuals. So it's basically like, how do I get this image to line up with that image? Like, how do I fit this this uh, vase over top of this light source? Like, how do I how do I look at um, 
these these two things on top of each other such that the turn the wheel that's turning in this one engages with the wheel that's turning in the other one and then they they can start to be a machine together um so it's very it's very abstract it's very visual um it's it's just a totally different kind of game than i've ever seen before and again it's really short yeah so that's the other thing that's really nice and it was it was really fun to play with ben because uh, i felt like there were a couple moments where it was like Ben provided the like clutch. Oh yeah, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, do this, this, and this, and then I was like, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. And yeah. it worked the other way too. Yeah, exactly. So we we talked about exit last week. This yep. kind of escape the room thing, where you have games that are designed so that multiple people can be thinking about the same puzzle and contribute in different ways. Um, and even though Gorogo is basically one kind of puzzle one kind of thinking the whole time so like if you're a, not a visual person then this is not a game for you but if you are a visual person then it might help to have more so that you can think a couple then you're just reducing the number of times you like get stuck and have to like just try randomly doing stuff which the other thing is that that kind of works sometimes which is good because <laughs> it's not you don't spin your wheels infinitely but i i yeah exactly it does a really nice job of of kind of um, eliminating boxes after a certain point. So you hit this moment where you're like, okay, I have these two things. They have to fit together somehow. Um, but even though I do think they do a nice job of, of giving you the room to be in situations where you can figure stuff out pretty easily, um, I also don't think that we ever accidentally solved the no, puzzle. Definitely you know, not. It was always you were, were smart enough that you could get all the pieces to line up in such a way so that something would progress yeah and i i would i would be really interested to put this in front of a kid and see um like how their brain starts to attack something like this um when you say kid you mean like child yeah right? yeah but i think i just think it'd be interesting well it is it is uh really wonderful from a narrative standpoint that it's able to uh look at this childlike sense of wonder and stuff in in a new way so games don't usually do a good job of bringing that childlike thing across um, but this one did so that was awesome um, and uh, again one of the awesome things about it is its art style and and uh, how simple and and colorful it is and another awesome colorful simple game is pyre oh my god pyre i'm <laughs> i'm in love with this game um so this is this is made by a studio called Supergiant games and they they made another one of my just all-time favorite games called Bastion, um, which is a game where you, you play as kid. He's like a, a kid, little kid. And there are these floating platforms that kind of um, come up from the ground and disappear behind you uh, in a way that's like super responsive and makes it feel like it's super yours. There's a custom soundtrack, which sounds amazing. And there's a narrator who, who is constantly being like, kid trips but kids okay it's like narrates everything you do and it's amazing like one of the most like tonally specific and awesome games i've ever played um and pyre kind of felt like it kind of built on that they they clearly didn't that game was like very combat heavy and this game clearly just wanted to make something new yeah and something fresh so they more or less invented their own sport which is basically called like pyreball yeah um, <laughs> not in the game but you might as well call it fireball <laughs> uh and where basically there's like an orb in the middle and then each unit has its own like area of control where if it runs into another unit if another unit runs into their little circle then they more like disappear and they have to sit out for like 10 seconds or whatever 
Um, when you have the orb, your circle goes down though. You don't have a you don't have a sphere of influence. So it's a game that's it's you know you kind of have to like pass a bit. You're trying to like stealthily get past the enemy, and you're trying to get the ball into their goal more quicker than they can do that into your goal. Yeah. So it's it, it's it's kind of like um, a really artful way of doing basketball with combat mechanics. So, um, but it's not character... it's not it doesn't feel like. Combat, combat yeah yeah but each each it character still feels has, like you're doing like a sport thing right the goal is to but, get your your character to get the ball into the thing um and each character has their own set of abilities and everything in order to get there it's kind of quidditch yeah exactly exactly um but i mean one thing that that i was really intrigued by um is it it's not all that all the time it also has this this um big chunk of the game that is basically a visual novel like we mentioned before so you you kind of have characters that that talk to you and uh it's totally beautiful yeah character designs this is you you clearly this is this was like a labor of love like they created a world and wanted to make a bunch of these like very specific characters and um again all of the music is like custom made by the studio and it's amazing where you you play the pyre ball with like six or seven different groups of people, um, like different races of, of things in the world, basically. So like one group you'll play is like a bunch of dogs. One group you'll play, they're, they're like uh, dogs who really like metal. So their song is like, <laughs> dun, 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 like very heavy guitar. And then you'll play against like the like tree folk spirit people who like can cast their own little plants that have their own little areas. Um, you'll play against them and then it's like a lot more like a gentle forest soundtrack so each match feels like very thematic and perfect but yeah then you have this other section of the game that's like you traveling around the world and you interacting with those characters so you'll have like little dialogue moments with them the other thing is that you have these these like races that are created these like different races that are created for the game are super different from each other so each of the characters are not only have their own personality but they're very differentiated from each other um, which is really cool. So Jodariel feels extraordinarily different from uh, my little bird thing that explodes whenever it wants to. Mm -hmm. So like they just felt very different. And you ended up liking certain ones other than other other ones, especially because of the the like sport you're playing, where some are just like better than others, but also you just like their personalities. So the game has this really cool thing where. Um, each time you perform like the master right, you choose one to save. Yeah. And so well, so the the context is that you have these characters. You're kind of are, in you're in purgatory yeah, basically. Limbo. Yeah. You're in limbo and you're you play pyroball to get to more or less like Heaven, get saved. Yeah. Um. It's like a it's a religious right you perform and whoever wins they get to choose one person to be saved from purgatory and and go back and live in the real world. Um. And the this 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 mechanic makes you that inherently it's a game that makes you care about certain characters a lot, but that means you don't want to keep them around and help have them help you win. You want to save them, so your crew kind of whittles down as you have more and more of these people who are like, oh, I think this person's amazing, but I want them to have freedom. Like I want to spend more time with them, but I want them to have freedom more than that. Well, and it's, and it's awesome that the game also, again, gives you this mechanical element that you wouldn't have in a movie or whatever, where it's not just like, oh, I really like this character. Like, I want I want them to, to be saved, but also I, I want to spend more time with them myself. 
but at the same time you have to have them for Pyreball. Like they're really, <laughs> they're a really good player and like they've leveled up and they have a lot of abilities, but that means that like you care about them and you want to use them and then you want to help them and save them, you know. It also um it does a really nice job of uh the stakes get raised so high in those in those rights because you're like, okay, this is for May. And there are like specific cutscenes that are like, May, we're doing this for you. You got this. And then you play you play this this like space jam match to like save the world uh, is what it feels like and it that that's just really magical and um the game also does really nice so like the base level difficulty is like not insanely intense it's like super manageable and then they give you lots of ability to tweak it as you like so if you're like i wish the enemies were a little bit smarter you can turn that on and then uh you get more rewards but it's also um a bit harder then so it, it's very granular and letting you make the game as hard as you want it or as simple as you want it. if you just want to play and experience the story you can leave the game on the normal version and it's super manageable you just have your like little little whatever little creature you have just like run past everybody and put it in the thing so um it definitely lets people who want the, just the story play and just get the story or if if you want to be like all right pyroball i want pyroball to i i want to like struggle through this pyroball match and and really feel like you it's like it. 10 to 0 at the end of the game um which to be clear you have 100 and you count down so that is close not like oh it's 10 to 0 um yeah it's i, I loved playing it cuz it was a game that i could boot up and um just like read a bunch of stuff but then also have these like moments of like lulls and highs that i really feel like in a lot of games don't deliver that ability to just like consistently put out an awesome consistent atmosphere between two different bits that are completely different from each other one being like uh like a cool intense game thing and then one being just like pure story that share characters so it just feels very cohesive and awesome yeah totally um and speaking of challenge oh. uh we've talked about it before but i think neo is definitely worth worth elevating as well yeah so so uh to recap for people who don't know neo is basically a game where you're playing as the one irishman in japan yep <laughs> who uh kind of is moving through this world stick with us <laughs> you're you're kind of moving through this world that's basically half um kind of old japan samurai ninjas that kind of era um that they did like a surprising amount of historical research to do that part well but then you also are dealing with all this japanese mythology and these these strange yokai creatures and and the whole thing gets very um much kind of fantasy driven even though it's also very historically driven um and and uh the the big the big part of the game the central mechanic is definitely combat it's definitely a game that's about um every single enemy you need to be afraid of them so we make fun of me all the time because i died of farmers um <laughs> because it just takes one one moment where you're like ah, i don't really care and then you just get totally destroyed um with their little rakes or whatever they hit you with um so the uh the whole the whole game is um very exclusive in terms of who who might be interested in playing it um but for people who like combat in a game and challenge and challenge <laughs> um i i think that I've, I've never played something like Neo. It's it's grown on me a lot since I, I first started it. Um, and p 
people people have compared it to Dark Souls, and they've also said that it's kind of good at not being Dark Souls. And I think that's really where it excels. Is it takes elements of Dark Souls design, but like really makes it its own. And uh, and I think that one thing that's worth mentioning for people is that uh, combat in video games is uh, from a narrative standpoint, it makes a lot of sense because it's conflict driven, it's active, um, but it's also basically just a puzzle. Um, and uh, one thing in, in games that people don't appreciate so much, um, to pivot back to Hellblade for two seconds, Hellblade is not focused on being a combat game. So there's not a lot of variation in the enemy design in Hellblade. They're all kind of like abstract parts of, of like her trauma, thinking about Vikings and stuff like that. Um, but a huge part of what makes a, a combat heavy game so interesting, especially if it's not a shooter, if it's more melee focused, is about enemy design. Because the ways that enemies move and attack and act is the puzzle. You know, you have to basically, for games like Neo or Dark Souls, the, the way to solve the puzzle, the way to like beat things in, in combat is all about um, learning when you can do damage without taking damage. Versus there are other games that's like, okay, like I have health pots, like I can just just click on them until they die and then I can heal. Um, but with games that are that, that have a higher um, punishment for for making mistakes, um, it really is about knowing knowing when you can do something safely. Um, and and I think that one thing that Neo does so well is it has so much variation in terms of what enemies appear both in their in their move sets and also their design like you one minute you're fighting like a ninja who's jumping out from the bushes and like is very fast and and the next you're fighting a, a giant enemy with a big axe and then you're fighting like a huge like wolf creature with electricity that it calls from the sky or a vampiric creature that's swooping down at you and the whole thing is is um, so tight in terms of both what what's coming your way in terms of how you have to avoid taking damage and in your tools and your toolbox about how to deal damage. So uh, there's different weapons that have different move sets, but then there's also three stances: a low stance, a mid stance, and a high stance for each weapon, which changes the animation and changes if you're Speed doing of slow. Attack. Yeah, if you're slower but you do more damage, or if you're faster and you do less damage, um, you, you can switch mid combat. Yeah. So it was really, if you want a game that is like, gives you a big thing to bite into, that is like a combat game. This is there's few things that are as in depth and intense as this. Well, we joke that um, that your coach and that i'm i'm your prize it's fighter. not a joke anymore <laughs> well that's the thing is that for for um for some games more than others it's super true and for neo it's super true that again there's so much to think about that i really enjoy playing this game with you because you're able to to be mindful of of certain things that i'm not and um i think that uh i i would be able to get through it without you but um it makes it so much uh, easier and more fun to have you there to help me remember um, how to how to do certain things and um, and it is it is cool because um, again not everyone has a buddy who plays tons of video games and c they could do this with um, 
or or someone who could who'd watch their watch their back and, and think for them um but uh again it is it is kind of this this trade-off where i'm someone who's looking for challenge in a game like i i don't think that a, a game has to do something really special for me to want to get through it if it's not constantly demanding my attention um from a mechanic standpoint and uh and for that mindset like for someone who's looking for that level of competition and challenge and execution um i don't think i've ever played something like neo it really is special in that regard well and so you mentioned that things have to be really special if they don't or aren't really demanding of uh mechanics i look at this list and the only thing that's really super demanding in terms of mechanic mechanics is neo yeah so these games are all just really special which goes to show you this isn't even all of the games that we liked in 2017 this is a few of them but their games are coming out that are spectacular at like this insane of a velocity yeah totally and and in so many different ways yeah and because um, even even when we look at this list two two of our 10 games that we're telling you and recommending that you check out in this podcast only two of them have combat at all yep so if you think if if you're like mr dylan and when i talk to you you assume that oh hey uh you like video games so you like call of duty combat and shooting people none of these games involve guns at all and only two of them have combat in any way in any way or shape or form so there are a ton of these games that are coming out that are super about their tone, their atmosphere. Um, sometimes, yes, mechanics, but uh, the same reason that playing a Euro board game is really nice. Sometimes it's nice to just sit down and crack on a puzzle with your friends. But one thing, one thing that's really special about a number of these games that I think I think kind of culminates in this last one is human relationships, and and I think that the. Uh, We've, we've mentioned Life is Strange before, and I think Life is Strange is, is kind of this huge game, not just for us, but I think um, personally for us, that that kind of represents what games can be in a big way. I think it's the world other than Earth that I care the most about. <laughs> so so that world is Arcadia Bay, and um, we'll, we'll talk about the original Life is Strange. We'll probably do a whole podcast about Life is Strange yeah. at some point. But we just want to, we want to talk a bit about the merits of, there's a, so Life is Strange came out 2015, 2015, um, amazing game that totally changed Ben and I's perspective on things. Well, and one thing that's worth mentioning about it is that it came out in this new way that's a little bit more like TV where it's episodically driven. So even though, um, something like Gorgoa you can play through in a handful of hours, um, and Life is Strange takes a little longer, it's broken down into chunks. And an episode of Life is Strange usually plays through in about two hours, which is a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, it's it's overwhelming for them to get into games because they kind of feel like, oh no, I don't want to sit down and pour so much of my time into something. How like, am I going to finish this? <laughs> yeah, but it, like if you have an afternoon on a Saturday free and you can just dive into an episode of Life is Strange, it's a really nice experience. Also, the barrier is even super low because you could just play episode one and see if you like it. Totally, um, which um, is really nice. So, and so real <laughs> quick, just to, to give context for for uh, this one that we're about to talk about, Life is Strange came out in 2015, and 
it was way more popular than people were expecting it to be, which is awesome because it's so good. Um, and then there's uh, through a series of things, there there's another one that just came out um, that was made by a different studio. Um, that takes place before the original game. Yeah, so it's a prequel. It's only three episodes long versus the original was five episodes long. And uh, and it's called Life is Strange Before the Storm. So so the the these aren't spoilers, but the main game, the reason it's so special is because it explores this relationship of Max and Chloe and these, these two uh, teenage women. They are... They have the most interesting and like nuanced and complex relationship that I've seen like developed Anything. in a video game. That's the original. So um, in this prequel, you play as one of those characters, that but you then didn't play as the that original. you didn't play as. So you play as Max in the original game, and in this game, you play as Chloe. Um, and they did such a phenomenal job of the game like foundationally changing mm -hmm. by you playing as Chloe versus Max. So not only are your dialogue options 1000% different, um, but uh, just like the the music being like kind of twee and indie in the first one, this one is is all the music Edge. is done by uh, Daughter, who is this like very dark British indie rock artist who's amazing, don't get me wrong, but like she's like very electric guitar heavy and like there's a lot of like, even her like big atmospheric music has a bit of like a kick of sadness to it. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's mirrored in the characters. So exactly. Max Max in the original game, she was an adaptation of Holden Caulfield. She's kind of like head in the clouds, like trying to figure out life. She's a little bit more like, hmm, like let me think about like what it means to be a person. Like she's very kind of heady and spacey and stuff. And Chloe is not. You know, Chloe is is very much like it like charged up moving in the real world like dealing with stuff it like head on never avoiding she's a confronter yeah yeah um and and that plays itself like the way that they talked about it is chloe's whereas max is more this like um kind of thoughtful reflective person chloe's a wrecking ball like she she just kind of has a thing she wants and she's gonna do that no matter what and um and then the the again the the strength and the essence of life is strange for me at least is all about this one central relationship that it's digging into um so for for this game it's exploring the relationship between chloe and a character called rachel amber which you find out really quickly in the first game like literally within the first like five minutes five minutes of playing that she's been missing in arcadia bay so in the first game, you exploring Max and Chloe, and Rachel is this. Oh wow! I wonder what she's about. I I wonder what she is. And then before the storm, you play as Chloe, and you have a really intense, amazingly personal connection with Rachel. And Max is this thing that's abstract, and you go, oh, I wonder like what Max is up to. So um, the 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 backstory before before the storm. <laughs> <laughs> is, oh boy is basically so uh arcadia bay is sort of like seattle um it's, it's like a sleepier town. yeah small town not seattle all right well some it's it's, some, in, well, it's, it's like in oregon portland. it's like portland it's smaller, smaller than portland. portland so it's a tiny it's a town. small town on the west coast <laughs> and and it's on basically the north pacific coast yeah so so it's uh <laughs> it's the small town on the north pacific coast and uh the the beginning of the game kind of before the game starts is 
Max and Chloe were friends, best friends growing up. Uh, they both uh, loved playing make-believe together and, um, and were basically like inseparable up until high school. And then something really sad happened to Chloe. And um, at the same time, unrelated, Max's family moved away. Um, they moved to Seattle, didn't they? Yes. So, so then, um, funny, funny. So, <laughs> so then, uh, Max is gone, and Chloe has to deal with this traumatizing thing that happened to her with without her her best friend, without her like rock. Yeah. And and on top of that, something that that comes up in the first game very quickly is that Max basically ignored Chloe while she was gone, and. That's, I think, one of the, the most interesting parts about Max as a character is that she is someone who's very sweet and, and caring and simple, but th- she did leave her best friend behind when she needed her most. and and Which is uh, obviously complicated. Like, we've all been there, and it's, like, really tough to be there for someone and have life moving all around you. And especially if they're not in your city, it's particularly hard to give someone all of your time totally but, but on the um, receiving end of that for chloe it tore her world apart yeah and that's and that's where before storm starts that's is that's the environment chloe's sure. chloe's in a tailspin she's lost her safety net and in this kind of dramatic free fall moment in her life where she's starting to be more rebellious she's not fitting in in school as well she's like a really smart kid who's not clicking um she she connects with like super clicks with this other human being and it's it's awesome how how uh much the game lets you interpret both the relationship between max and chloe and the relationship between chloe and rachel in in very different ways so so you you kind of have the leeway to play it through as if it's this like extremely loyal friendship or it can be more than that um and and both of those stories are incredible in different ways. Um, and even within one of those stories, there are a lot of variations. Well, it's... And it, Before the Storm, better than anything I've played, is captures that magic of, like, you meet someone, whether it's in, like, real life or, like... It, was, it particularly happened at, like, summer camp, where you meet someone and then you're like, oh, my God, this person is, like, one of the coolest people I've ever met. I want to hang out with them always. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of the relationship that Chloe and Rachel seem to have instantly. Yeah. Uh, and it's the game is actual magic. Like mm-hmm. it captures that perfectly. And you're you as the spectator and you as playing as Chloe are so lost and entrenched in like you feel everything she's feeling and it's it's really remarkable. And and again, it's what's so impressive about something like that is that it kind of feel feels effortless. You're just kind of on the journey, but it's the result of so much work on the part of the designers to make those moments feel as human while still being these interactive experiences, you know? Yeah. Cause Um, more or less the, so uh, more or less the only thing you do in the game is like go around and talk to people, especially like you're in high school. So a lot of that is like going around and talking to high schoolers. Um, and wherein the the original Life is Strange, it had that, and like some of the characters were like kind of archetypal, and it was fine. This one, it seemed like the like all dialogue that you got was like superhuman and alive, and it really felt you were so immersed in this world, in these characters, and more than anything, I like 
I am going to miss Chloe, like, in real life. Yeah. Like, she's such a real and dynamic character to me in my head that she's the kind of person who I think about when I'm not playing um, just because she's so alive and I know so much about her, or at least I feel like I do. Um, it's it's just it's nuts that I can care so much about those people and cried in each of the episodes. Um, and again, like I said before, the soundtrack is like awesome where it really there are moments when the music changes and then I make a decision in the game because of that. And yeah. it's like that's really special too, but it's just they the games really get it. Um, both between like building a narrative because the narratives are pretty great but then more so than anything it's just having characters who care about each other and exploring that and life is strange as a franchise has done that better than any anything. medium i've experienced yeah i agree has done it better than tv shows better than movies better than any other video game for me nothing else has made me f- feel like those characters together on a screen more than life is strange yeah i agree and and i think that um one one element of that is definitely coming from uh the same tools that that all of those mediums use where you have characters and you kind of are able to be with them at points in their life and in places where no one else is like in a movie when you see a character break down by themselves like in real life you wouldn't be there for that because that person is alone but as a viewer you get to be there you get to be with them and and have this kind of voyeuristic experience of watching them in that place um whereas in in a game like life is strange you're not just there as a voyeur you know you're not just there to like experience their pain you're there to like be with them and really support them through it and i think that's what really hit me about life is strange as a franchise is that i really felt like i was there trying to help max and i was trying to help chloe and i was trying to help rachel as 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 an individual and and that interactive element i think is what really pulled the the rug out from under me in all of those games um because i felt like it was it was my place to try to help them through something that in real life you get those those moments where you can be there for somebody in those really dark places just a couple of times you know and and this was able to distill a moment like that better than as you said anything else i've ever experienced yeah so that's that's the state of modern video gaming not bad (laughs) If, if this is what you were expecting then cool if this wasn't what you were expecting then um i hope that was interesting um i hope it's cool to see a peek under the covers i don't know if i can say that that's a weird that's a weird one (laughs) anyway uh it's a thing it's a world that's totally worth exploring so it's nice to be able to share it with folks who maybe haven't considered it and don't know that it exists absolutely and and also it's it's just starting to to take its first toddler steps into this you know Games have been around for a while, and they've come a long way from slot machine arcades and Pac-Man and stuff like that. And and they have a long way to go, you know. Yeah. Um, it really is the beginning of of a new chapter in video game history, um, and it's awesome to be along for the ride. So I'm really excited to see where things go from here. Yeah. So thanks for listening to episode four of the S and D podcast. Um, you can do the like review reviewy thing on iTunes and stuff. 
Um, but also just have like a nice holiday and stuff. And think about getting cans. Bye.